you know, this is the problem with men getting healing in terms of their own victimization. That's the blockade right there. If any man in that room was a victim of a sexual assault and wanted to come out about it, he was not going to come out about it inside that room at all. Let's get into it. Today, we're talking to my man, Levon Kennedy. Levon, what's going on with you? Good to have you with us. Well, everything's well. Everything's well. How you feeling today, Eric? Good. I'm, I'm great. I want to thank you for being here. I know you're just rushing in for work and you got the kids with you. Again, as you said earlier, you know, that's the epitome of a dad. You never know when you're going to have the kids on your lap, bouncing on your knee. You still got to do what you got to do. So thank you for that. Tell me your title position and the work that you do. Oh, uh, now I am the project coordinator of WAR's Healthy Masculinity Initiative. That is a community mobilization effort designed to pretty much talk to men and open up conversations about traditional male gender norms, gender roles, anybody who may subscribe to them, and how all of those intersect with sexual and gender-based violence. Additionally, WAR is the only rape crisis center in the city, so we also try to, you know, help Everybody, including men, understand that, hey, you know, you can come there and get services free of charge and they're also confidential. What was it that led you to the path of working with war? I feel like certain stuff you're just to a degree built for. And I'm going to just go way back to when I was young. My dad definitely raised me, but my grandma had a really big hand in it as well. I grew up in North Philadelphia, Strawberry Mansion section of the city, uh, 30th and Diamond. You know, it's one of those areas that's, you know, poverty stricken, violence ridden. You know, it, it can overwhelm you, you know, if you allow it to. Um, it's a lot of pitfalls around there, a lot of a lot of obstacles to overcome um, and not enough resources to do that. A lot of those convictions and things that I was taught when I was younger, ultimately, I feel like manifested, like, I, I feel like those got those convictions. It was like, you know, I had this middle ground in life where I had to just go through a bunch of bumps and rocky, you know, paths and, you know, rough terrain. But those convictions, those first few years of my life, you know, those still stuck with me. They were in my toolbox somewhere. And ultimately, I had a I had an opportunity to let those uh, traits manifest in this position, you know, where, you know, I could talk to young men about sexual harassment now, because it's like, you know, I, I had that experience being in, you know, neighborhoods where, you know, I'm sitting on the corner with other young guys and we're hooting and hollering at young ladies. And I, we even went through our own transformation without nobody telling us, you know, for some odd reason, a lot of us just started calling each other out on it and checking each other on like, yo, like, you know, stop, stop yelling across the street at people like go over there and get her if you like, you know, that's, that's the way we talk, like go over there and get her if you want to like, don't be all yelling across the street and stuff like you drawing like you know we would just say that to each other so again we just naturally kind of went through that that phasing you know so um so you're saying that there was a, some natural aspect of your relationships with those other boys 
that allowed y'all to limit that misogyny and limit that, that sexism. That, towards that, that would be a good way to put it. Like, honestly, I remember even one time Rick Ross was famous for saying this, you know, line on a song called UONO or whatever, but he was saying, put Molly on her champagne. She didn't even know what I took home and I enjoyed that. She didn't even know it. And like immediately, I remember one, it wasn't even me. I didn't work at this job at the time either. So one of my friends noticed that we were like, you know, cause it's louder now where like, you know, actually listen to the lyrics and not just bouncing to the, you know, the music no more. You're now listening to the song now. And one of my friends was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Somebody rewind that real quick. And we rewinded it. He's like, oh no, Rick Ross. Like, you know, he's now he just like going off. We like, Yo, what, what you just hear? Like, y'all ain't hear that. You know, he's just like, rewind it again. And we're listening. We like, hold up. He was like, yeah, he talk about like taking somebody's stuff. Like, that ain't cool. And we knew this before he even lost the Reebok deal off of that. Another example um, with us, we were like around like 18, 19 years old. We also understood Strawberry Mansion was right around the corner from us. So, at the time, if we're in the neighborhood, you know, and it's March, April, May, or whatever the case is, and it's getting nice out, and, you know, young ladies, young men are walking past, and people are looking good, and you tend to try to, you know, approach somebody, want to talk to them, well, actually say, like, you know, we've had conversations where we're just like, yo, like, when you're walking up to these, you know, chicks nowadays, like, they look older than what they is, like, you need, we need to start asking for ID, like, we need to see ID out here, like, you know, we're not playing those games, so, I don't know where it came from. Honestly, I don't know why we all just started doing that, but it just went from doing stuff like the regular neighborhood young guys do to, you know, just looking at those as like they were immature actions to even just, you know, full on, you know, understanding boundaries or just respecting boundaries on a bigger, on a, on a bigger level amongst each other too, not just, you know, with a person or just saying it, you know, just actually doing it amongst each other. So that was a good way you put it. I think that's I think that's powerful and, and really necessary to to bring up in conversations, right? Because there's also a, a community of folks that believe like all men are dogs, right? And that that how could it possibly be that a group of young black teenage boys could have the mindfulness and the consciousness to be respectful of women on their own without any like prompting or any trouble coming from someplace else. So what you're saying is that that there is something inherent in, in 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 young men where they know the difference if it's instilled them in in a, at an early enough age. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah, I, I can go out as far as say that it was. I won't lie and say that we didn't have our troubles in other areas, but I believe like areas of you know as far as I re- as far as I remember, like you know areas of consent, um, areas of just you know like public, you know just being in the public and you know pretty much harassment in public, you know, those things uh, we tended to, you know, taper back on because, you know, again, for us, it was just ultimately, it, it, it didn't get us no closer to our goal anyway, doing those things. So if we really wanted to, you know, get closer or intimate with a person. We needed to make sure that we approach any circumstance or situation with that person as if, you know, we want to earn that person's trust and respect. We didn't know what we was putting it like that. If I were to say that around my friends, it was just like, they they would they would probably you know grunt and agree. Yeah. You didn't know you was woke back then. That's what you're saying. 
they didn't know we all had it in us like again it wasn't just one person you know even though i had my convictions growing up with my grandma a lot of us grew up with around our grandmothers and our grandfathers not to even just put all the onus put on the older adults you know just the village mindset was a little bit different back then you know when i was coming up i feel like that was like that last of the dying breed you know in, in my era coming up you know where people really looked out for each other and were people were able to say something to you when they saw you being out of line or acting abnormal or anything like that. How old would you say you and your friends were around that time that you had that realization? I remember being about 15. So I would say anywhere from the cap of 14 up to about 18, maybe. And and again, like I said, we is not to say every last one of us, a lot of people still, you know, had issues with possibly like, you know, putting their hands on a woman, something like that, even if it was something that she might've did to him first or something like that. It's just like, you know, it's just always a situation where, you know, somebody finds themselves, you know, fighting, fighting a woman, you know what I mean? It's just like, you know, enough is enough with that. And that's what I mean when I say something, when you, when you kind of fall in line with a certain way of being that it tends to like follow you and latch onto that energy kind of stays around you. Ended up being a bit lucky in a lot of ways. Um, I did have my father at the time for about, you know, 12 years of my life, you know, before he passed away. So um, fortunately, I was able to at least have that figure, that role model in my life. But for me, the turning point really happened because before, while my father was in the picture, and this is, you know, why I'm glad you asked me to have this conversation, like, because really thinking about it when I was thinking about the conversation altogether, when my father was in my life, it was so much more structure. Not to say that, you know, mothers don't provide that either. But again, um, I came up under my dad. So I'm just, you know, giving it from that lens. Mm-hmm. And it was just so much more structure under him. You know, he was really militant. He, he, he was, uh, you know, he was a vet. He always, you know, said early to bed, early to rise, you know, makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise. Like, you know, he always had these little cliche sayings. It's not no on time. It's just, you know, you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. You know, if you're late, don't even show up. So that was my upbringing, just him saying a lot of these things that you know were metaphors or like I said cliche statements that ultimately you know would manifest in some way in some situation in some circumstance now again it's a point where he passed away and for me that's where I feel like a lot of the challenges of that neighborhood started to really settle in on me and weigh down on me a a bit more than I believe it would have had I had my father around I felt like I didn't have that guide to help me navigate through a lot of situations and circumstances that I just felt like I needed another man's advice, unapologetically, unconditionally, just somebody's advice that that I believe will be solid and not necessarily give me the answer, but at least provide me with some kind of perspective or clarity. So real quick, just give me an example of a situation that you found yourself in as a teenager that you feel like his presence or his advice would have made a difference or would have had you make a different choice? Man, if I were to think of one particular situation, it was the culmination of just living in the neighborhood and falling into the narrative. Even though I was a student that, you know, when I went to school, I'm a B student, I'm ones in behavior, maybe a two, because I might have, you know, fell asleep and, you know, teachers don't like me fall asleep, but I've read everything. That's because I was already on point, papers handed in, homework handed in, whatever. But I had a hard time staying in my lane. Now, ultimately, I'm grateful for all the experiences that I had because it helped me shape my perspective on life. And and I'm appreciative of that. But again, a lot of the turmoil and the trouble I went through just, you know, 
following the narrative of being, you know, a, you know, a corner boy or wanting to live, you know, a faster life than what I was supposed to at the time, wanting to have, you know, a pocket full of money and always having fresh sneaks and nice things. My dad used to say, you know, just pay your dues, pay your dues. And, you know, to this day, I, I, you know, I'm still learning that, but I believe I have a better grasp of it now more than other than this ever. And it's like, you know, don't rush, you know, don't rush your race. You know, you, you, you're, you're moving at the pace that, you know, your higher power or whatever, or universe or fate wants you to move at. And you just, and, and not to say accept it, but don't, just don't rush things. So don't, don't move before it's your time. Let's go back to that. There had to come a point in time where you made a decision to become a corner boy or to go after that lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Where did that decision come from? What was the thing that made you feel like you needed to do that? When my father passed away, I did feel like I was missing something. You know, he did a lot for me. He bought a lot of things for me. He attended a lot of things for me. He provided a lot. And the switch happened, honestly, when, again, it was a void. That's that's what I can say. I, I, I can't say exactly when it was, but I do know I felt a void. I felt some void that needed to be filled in the form of tethering myself to these other men who were in my neighborhood, who were who meant well in a lot of ways, but they were just doing the wrong things, if that made sense. So, you know, those same men, they would tell, you know, tell us the same thing, you know, go to school, get your education, you know, do something, you know, great with yourself. Um, you know, you don't want to be in the streets. They would say all of these things, but again, as much as they would say it, it was still in our face. And Ultimately, it was just like, you know, almost like that dance and fire, like, you know, you kind of get, you know, mesmerized by it and you want to, you want to, you want to get closer to it. You want to, you want to see what's this, what's this thing that's dancing and flickering in your face. And um, yeah, it was, that it was a void though. It, it was, it was really more so just a void. And, and that decision wasn't something that, you know, I thought through. And I don't think a lot of times young men don't think through, hey, I'm going to be a, you know, a corner boy. I don't think nobody, I just think, I don't know. Like I said, I just think it's falling for a narrative of your circumstance or your situation or your neighborhood or your culture. And and and, and for me, like I said before, a lot of us are just trying to fill some void, whether it be for me, you know, being connected and tethered to other um, men who are older than me, who I, I respected on some level and, um, whether it be, you know, because I felt like, hey, you know, my grandma, she's making $700 a month, you know, I see the checks when they come in, I help her read the bills and pay the bills and allocate, you know, all the budget. It's like, am I going to ask her to buy me, you know, the $150, $200 pair of Jordans or the $120 pair of, you know, Timberlands at the time? No, you know what I mean? I felt guilty about that. I already felt like I was a burden on her anyway, being there. My father passed away and, you know, pretty much everything just falling on her shoulders. So those were two things that were just kind of, you know, dancing around in my head. That void that I needed to be filled as well as just, you know, like I said before, just going along to get along. I'm not ashamed to admit that. Okay. All right. So, you know, let's progress a little bit, right? Because I know you you did eventually make it to college, right? Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about the transition period because you made it to college, but then you hit some roadblocks and had to make some adjustments. Tell us about that time in your life. Oh man, that was, that was a rough period too. I believe, honestly, I don't know, honestly, which period was rougher, whether the period I just told you about or that transition period when I was in school, because normally when you go to school, you know, you're, you're at least prepped in some kind of way. 
you know, Strawberry Mansion, I went to Strawberry Mansion High School. So, you know, again, it, it wasn't the fact that they didn't want to prep us. They didn't have the resources to do it. They 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 just couldn't, you know, do as much as they wanted to do for their for their young adults. And you know, that's that's nobody that's that's nobody's fault on their level. But that transition, oh my gosh, like you know, I, I went to school, and you know, and again, like I said, that was a really then when you said teenagers, that's why I kind of threw me off because even though my college years, you're still a teenager. But that would have been a very critical time. I would have had, would have wanted to have my dad. Like you know, I would have wanted to have somebody to just run some of these feelings I'm going through, and just you know, somebody even just check me. Like yo, you acting like a knucklehead. Like you know, you're just. I, I didn't raise this person. You know, just somebody to really just realign me. You know, but um, I go to school. I put it. I bring Philadelphia with me, which is not a good thing you know I bring my neighborhood with me you know I'm closed off I'm aggressive to people I'm uber aggressive to people um even borderline hostile you know um I'm, I'm you know I'm really kind of confrontational you know and and again this is what you know is kind of taught in the city of Philadelphia you know you should display dominance you shouldn't allow anybody to see you anyway but like you know don't test me don't don't you know I'm not the one to be you know trifled with or anything like that and this wasn't that environment you know so I really looked like you know for lack of better words a fool what kind of environment was it college man it was it was so much diversity that's that's the ease that's the first thing I could say me coming from my little corner of the world and somebody else coming from their corner of the world like it's just it's so many different people coming you know we being in one place for so much time and not having that palette of you know different people different perspectives everything's pretty much you know like you would think that it's almost like a cult of some sort you know you know you can't think anything different from you know homophobia transphobia you know you can't say a certain thing you can't dress a certain way so again everything was just so do this do that in order to fit in I guess you could say but I, I, I can almost go and say people didn't care about that up there people were themselves you know and and ultimately you know that's that's a big thing with you know what I dealt with too you know just as you grow up especially in Philadelphia in these neighborhoods you know you you build this war shell you know what I mean that you you tend to almost forget who you really are your your actual personality you know the things you like what you laugh at you know your convictions you know so you 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 tend to lose sight of all of that stuff elaborate on that a little bit is that something that's specific to boys and men or is there something that impacts boys and men differently than girls and women I can't speak for I won't I won't speak for young women and, and their upbringing, but I'll say for for myself, you know, coming up as a young man and coming up under that umbrella, I will go out on a limb and say that young women and young men are definitely taught differently in those environments. You know, we're more so taught to you know watch for people who are trying to come out to hurt us or harm us or like you know some kind of like rob us or something like that or you know watch out for people with you know guns or people doing crazy stupid stuff like that whereas though young ladies may be taught to you know um dress a certain way or you know don't go outside past a certain time of the night or um things like that so why why do you think they're taught those things to be honest to protect themselves from men going out on a limb I would really go as far as to say even if it was women and men separated I believe women would thrive you know I believe men overall not to say they're they're not a lot of good men but overall the 
the culture of masculinity and the culture of patriarchy is that, you know, we, we can't really differentiate the two. You know, masculinity and patriarchy are not the same thing. They they can be intertwined, but they're really not the same thing. You know, patriarchy is discrimination, you know, it's dominance of some sort. Whereas though masculinity, this is something that can be cultivated and is ever changing. And it's one of those things that, you know, ultimately everybody gets to define for themselves. Whereas though patriarchy is, is what it is. Let's go back to what you were saying about the upbringing, that war shell that you called it, right? So you already identified that the women are taught certain things that actually are meant to protect them from being harmed by men. Mm-hmm. What is it that that war shell is doing for boys when they're taught to put that kind of armor on and that facade? Well, I would say that's a really good question. That was a really good question. I'll say this again. I was an AB student. I was on honor roll. When I was younger, I was really quiet. I was really respectful. I, I literally, I still to this day say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Um, open doors for people, greet people with a smile most of the time. And again, that just didn't, that didn't bode well for you in the environment that I grew up in. So, you know, you showing any signs of, you know, it, it's, it's so messed up that, you know, you being smart or you displaying, you know, that you're a smart person that equated to you being seen as weak in some kind of way, shape or form. So um, me being nice, you know, equated to me being vulnerable, me greeting people with a smile or always wanting to, you know, share with my friends and just be open and loving on them. You know, that that was something that was just like, you know, people who kind of had disdain for that. So um yeah, that that didn't that like I said, that didn't bode well for you in those in those type of environments. And that ultimately could make you a target. Here's a story. I had a bully at school, right? So I was in about, I think, fourth grade. It was just one of those guys that just always wanted to say stuff, do stuff to you, like not necessarily hit you per se, but throwing stuff at you. And I just was like irritated and done with him. So I come home and I tell my dad. And the first thing he does, like, you know, I'm telling him, you know, what the guy's doing. And I'm laughing about it because he's like, the first thing you do is like, all right, you know, I'm gonna put my hands up. And it's like, okay. And he's like, now punch my hands. And I'm like, you know, we didn't even get, I'm sorry for laughing. We didn't even get into conflict resolution. We didn't, it was just immediately, here go my hands, threw them up. All right, I'm punching, I'm punching him. He's like, you know, gassing me up. He's like, you know, oh man, like, you know, you hit strong, fat man. How in the world are you letting somebody bully you? Man, we won't walk in up there tomorrow. And, you know, we're going to handle this. And I'm, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, all right, dad, you know, I'm thinking, I don't know what, what, why I thought this, but he, I'm like, all right, he maybe just taught me a little bit just in case I had to unleash or something. All right, cool. And at the time, like, my, like I said, my dad's blind too, just so, so everybody knows that. Um, and my cousin Keith is up, you know, visiting us from Baltimore. So he comes up with us, right? And now we're walking to the school. And again, this is first thing in the morning, first thing, like 7.45, I'm about when the kids are playing in the schoolyard before we line up. So everybody gets a good visual of this. We're walking through the parking lot and he say, all right, so you see him? And I'm looking, I'm looking. And I say, yeah, I see him right there. He's like, all right, go get him. And for me, you know, I really want people to start understanding, you know, so many of our kids, you know, they take those traits and they they live by them. You know, 
and they run with them and it, and it really becomes a part of a part of them and it ultimately it leads to them be just you know destruction violence records cases you know constantly having trouble following your and it's really crazy when you think about it that way. At the time, my dad, you know, when he says, get him. And like I said, thinking back as an adult, I'm like, yo, that's what you say when you said, take a, let a dog off the leash. Like, you know, get him. Like, he's just like, go get him. Just like that. Like, let me go. Like I said, my dad's blind. He had, my hand, he had his hand on my shoulder. And he's like, go get him. And I, I do. I, I literally like, it's almost like it was like a instinct. I'm, and mind you, like I said, I don't, I'm not a fighter at the time. And I'd say, you know, I'm a bigger kid, but... Again, my grandma, my dad, they did raise me with that level of respect, you know, keep your hands free to yourself, mind your manners, you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't go looking for trouble. But at the same time, those same convictions they had me living by and raising me by got me to be in one way, but at the same time, that, again, still didn't mesh well where, you know, in the, in the environment that I was in. So now you got to, you know, I guess, contradict this, this way of, you know, respect and, you know, understanding boundaries and, conflict resolution I guess you could say to push me into this and again I, like I said it just really you know as as an adult 31 years old now just thinking back on that you know I, I wish my dad was alive now to just have a deeper conversation about that like yo dad like you remember this when we did that when I was young well I do you know if you don't I do as a little boy how did you feel when he said get him because you want to respect and honor your father right and you, you acted based on what he told you to do but you yeah. had a certain feeling when you were in that moment, what was that feeling? To be honest, anxiety definitely was high at that time because, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen, you know. So my adrenaline is through the roof. But if anything, it was more so an instinct that I felt. Like I said, when he said that get him thing, it was just like, you know, um, all right, I got just like I got to obey. I got to I got to I got to I got to do what I got to do. I just got to go get this guy. And, you know, thank you for, you know, bringing me back because the story wasn't even done. I ended up, this guy like comes and pretty much starts to try to meet me at the gate. Like he sees me walking up. I'm walking up at first and I'm walking fast and I'm walking faster. And he's like coming up towards me, trying to meet me at the gate. And I could see he's, I guess, attempting to antagonize me today. But, you know, I was already, you know, running towards him at that time. And, you know, he's like running around like this. If anybody knows the uh, Strawberry Mansion neighborhood in the Hill School, they know it's like a big water tower in the middle of the school schoolyard. And so I'm like running around this water tower, chasing this guy, chasing this guy. Eventually he stops. We get into a fight. I get suspended for a couple of days. He gets suspended for a few days. And, uh, and you know, that's what I said, I love my dad to death. But he made those two days of suspension like, like it wasn't even like punishment or anything. It wasn't like we didn't talk about it. Like we didn't dissect anything. It was almost like, you know, good job. You know, you, mm. you stood up for yourself. But again, I would have liked to have elaboration on that. As a young guy, I just looked at it like, okay, I fought this guy. I got suspended for a couple of days. And pretty much my dad's, you know, giving buying me pizza, wings, cheesesteaks, and being nice to me because pretty much I put my hands on somebody. So mm. And again, as a young man or young woman, even, you know, when you hear those, you know, my mom and dad said, you know, if somebody hits you, you better hit them back. And it's like, we just disregard conflict resolution. We don't, you know, say to somebody like, hey, you know, stop that. I don't, I don't like when you, you know, put your hands on me, you know, mm -hmm. um, I don't put my hands on you. Don't put your hands on me. Like we don't use our words at all. And again, just as we grow up, you know, these situations tend to unfold over the course of history. You know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. the last you know, five years, you know, you just named Tamir Rice, you know, Micaiah Bryant, you know, it's, it goes on and on and on. So, yeah.
as you got into the work of sexual assault prevention and sexual harassment prevention and intimate partner violence prevention, what is one of the most like memorable initial lessons that you learned on the job or that you came to realize through doing this work? Memorable lessons? Whoa, man, I'll be honest. I was at an organization for men who are re-entering society and I was doing myths and facts about sexual violence. And it just really, it really was mind boggling how many barriers men put up if, if it has anything to do with male on male sexual assault. You know, they can, they, they were able to understand when it came down to women, you know, if a woman's raped by a man and she doesn't fight back, that, um, that means she hasn't been raped. Is that a myth or a fact? You know, like, you know, that's a myth. Like, you know, so everybody can understand that. But as soon as I said a man who rapes another man is gay or a man who he gets raped by another man is gay, myth or fact, you know, everybody's just like, fact, fact, fact. Like, yeah, you can't do that. Like, I'm just like, it's, it's rape, everybody. Like, you know, I'm trying to help everybody understand, like, you know, this is forced, you know, manipulated. Uh, maybe a person was unconscious, you know. So I'm trying to help people, like, you know, really, like, so we, if we understand that word rape, then we know because they did that doesn't mean that they're gay. And, you know, they just like, like I said, it was, it was, it was, it was so eye opening because it's like, you know, this is the problem with men getting healing in terms of their own victimization. That was the, pro that's, that's the blockade right there is if any man in that room was a victim of a sexual assault and wanted to come out about it, he was not going to come out about it inside that room at all. You know, looking back at that experience, I was just like, wow, like it's such an uphill battle. It's, it's beyond what we really thinking. This thing really goes deeper than what we really believe it is. Like, it's not just surface level. And ultimately, if we really want to change that toxic, that toxicity of that part of the culture, you know, um, oppressing or, you know, suppressing rather those men who may have been victimized through the toxic cultural traits of masculinity, you know, that part of it where you can't do anything unmanly, you can't be a part of anything unmanly, everything has to be heterosexual. In their mind, how they looked at it, how did you even have a sexual assault occur to you? You know, like one guy said he wouldn't even been put in a position like that, he would have fought to the death. He just had every excuse in a book and it's like, that's not the case all the time. What does it do to a man's sense of self if he is forced into that position, that situation, against his will and can't fight to the death or doesn't fight to the death and then has yeah. to live with it. What do you think? What, what kind of damage does that do to men? Well, first things first, you know, we're all socialized to believe, think, or, and, and see how a man is supposed to act. So even for that man, that traditional male gender role for him may not, may no longer even be an option. They may even go as far as to question their own sexual orientation because they may have even um, gotten an erection and even an orgasm during the assault. And that doesn't mean it was enjoyed. It was just literally a physiological response. So um, any pressure on a male's prostate can produce an erection and even an orgasm. So um, that's that's literally biology. That's nothing to do with anything else. So I guess you could say right off the steps, you're just thinking, you know, as soon as this thing is done, it's like, okay, first thing I got to do, deal with, you know, the effects of this. So am I still a real man? Because I let this happen to me. Maybe my manhood has been stripped away from me. This person was able to overwhelm me. Men aren't victims. Men aren't, you know, vulnerable. We're supposed to be able to stand up for ourselves. We're supposed to be able to be tough and strong and you know, all of these things, again, that 
create this again narrative or this mode of this faux mode i guess you could say of what it means to be a man so um that that gets destroyed and now you're like looking for other answers elsewhere about what you know what not what am i but who am i i guess you could say not what am i but who am i you know you you you've been a man for so long and this type of man and you know you've been taught to you know think behave and act in this kind of way mm-hmm. And you've embodied all these traits of manhood, and now all of that could, could have potentially been stripped from you at you know one swoop. It's almost like the entire concept and definition of manhood hinges on not being a victim to another man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so funny because I believe me and you were both at the UPenn Conference on Masculinities, and one of the keynote speakers said something that really hit home for me so hard. He talked about this ladder of masculinity, and he was talking about how you're just like kind of stepping up these rungs, and you're going up these rungs, and you're not even looking down to see if you broke rungs. You're not looking down to see who you stepped over. You're just worried about being, you know, getting to the top, you know, being as dominant as you possibly be. The higher you go, the more dominant you are, the more you're classified as, you know, the atypical type of man. But it, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, it was so fascinating to hear it from that perspective of ladder, you know, you're you're climbing this ladder and you're not even looking back to see what damage you may have caused. If you've broken any rungs, if you stepped on anybody, has anybody fallen, you know, you know, behind you, anything. So especially inside of our neighborhoods, you tend to have that it's it's them or me mindset. I feel like that's a lot of the reasons behind a lot of the violence nowadays that we have because people are we're 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 in this neighborhood or in this culture rather where we believe it's them or us and it's it, and we need to start really just thinking like it's it's all of us. It, us is you know us is us. You know we're we're not against each other. So I want to go into this area of violence and domination as a result of like this ladder system in our, in our culture and how to overcome it. This is the father in circle podcast, right? You're a father. I'm a father. How can we as fathers play a role in being allies and also undoing this culture? Well, as far as the violence goes, that's going to be challenging only because I, I'm going to raise my child with different set of values than someone else may raise their child and those values may clash but if I were to start somewhere I would just start with having my kids learn what being assertive is and not aggression you know just letting people know that you're serious and you aren't to be played with but at the same exact time I'm not trying to actually you know get into an altercation with you I'd rather you know settle this you know um, gracefully. Why start there? I believe being assertive has something to do with conflict resolution. So you don't want to resolve conflicts all the time with the smile on your face. You know, sometimes you may have to resolve a conflict with a serious face and look at somebody directly in the eyes and just helping them understand that, hey, I'm serious. And I just really would like it if you would stop because that prevents violence from, I believe at least, it would prevent a lot of violence from coming their way if they are able to be assertive and able to mix in those conflict resolution skills. So, and again, I'm just taking it from when I was younger, you know, I didn't, it wasn't any conflict resolution skills. I would have rather been taught, hey, look, you need to be assertive with people. Like, you know, even if you got to like raise your voice a little bit and look people in the eyes and just have them understand again that you're serious. And that's even something that I teach when in bullying prevention at schools, you know, just having young, young adults know that, hey, like you don't have to be tough. You just have to be assertive. 
Additionally, they could potentially prevent a violent act from happening to somebody else if they are assertive. Again, assess your own safety, but they, they can step step up, you know, for other people, stand up for themselves. They can involve other uh, parties like teachers or their friends if they need to. So, um, like I said, I, I feel like assertion can go a long way, but aggression can be, you know, damaging. You know, somebody hits you, you better hit them back. That piece, that's not being assertive, that's being aggressive. And that can be damaging because we don't really give context around what what exactly you mean when you're saying these things or giving it situational value, not just, hey, if somebody hits you, hit them back. Hey, if somebody hits you in this kind of way because this is going on and no, parents don't do that, you know, as often. I wouldn't want my kids operating by that because kids can elaborate words on their own. They take the words, even if I'm explaining it the way I'm explaining it in my adult words for my adult mind to process, mm -hmm. they're not taking that the same exact way. So I'd rather not even teach it to them at all, mm -hmm. at all. Like don't even teach the kid that, you know, if somebody hits you, you hit them back. Cause then they take every little tap or touch as a way for them to get, you know, touch somebody or hit somebody back. And now I'm sitting inside of a teacher's office or couldn't call into a conference every other week over something that, you know, I, you know, taught my child and now I have to unteach them this. That's why I meant when I said, you know, it's it's difficult when, you know, you're raising your child certain values and other parents, you know, are doing their best to protect their children as well because they don't want their children to be a target. So that's how those parents, as well as my parents, taught us to, you know, I guess you could say defend ourselves. I think it's fascinating because, as you said, you can't control what somebody else does in terms of raising their children. But I often think about, is it possible to raise a child? without the necessity of having to learn to be aggressive or assertive or to even having to think about conflict management? I will say that all conflict doesn't have to be in our neighborhoods and things like that. You know, conflict resolution could just be simply problem solving. In a sense, I get what you're saying because I will, you know, you kind of got me at a fork in the road because in a, in a perfect world, yes, I would love to not have to teach my child conflict resolution in a perfect world. However, even if we by chance have raised all of our kids inside of some box or something like that, right? Eventually they still, they're still unique and they still have their own experiences and they're still going to interpret and do things as they see fit. And unfortunately, some of those things may clash with another person's point of view or way of life or something along those lines. So I just think conflict resolution will always be important. It will always be essential, even if it's just on a minor level of, you know, again, having kids say sorry and, you know, make up with each other, shake hands and, you know, just go about their day. And now they're friends now, you know, now they, and now they're, you know, sitting with each other on field trips and things like that. So I just think, like I said, in a perfect world, I would love for it to not be something that we have to teach our young adults. But again, even further on in life, you know, just even dealing with people in relationships, you know, you want you just want to have some level of compromise, uh, conflict resolution skills, problem solving skills in your relationships too. Tell us something that you want to leave us with, some practical tips. If you are going to heal yourself from any, I, I won't even say trauma or abuse. If you're going to heal yourself from any of the things that happened to you in your past or in your background, I would just say, forgive yourself for the things that you were ignorant to, but also take accountability for the things moving forward that you you now know that you're aware of. Definitely forgive yourself, you know, take that burden off your shoulders if you can, you know, and allow yourself to start healing. 
Also take accountability in whatever space that you can. What I mean by that is, like I said, just something small, like the yelling on the corner thing. You know, that was that was something we had to take accountability for. Hey, we we that that's that's being a jerk. That's that's not cool. We don't expect to get any kind of great conversational rhythm from somebody by shouting out at them on the corner. So, you know, we just, again, taking accountability for those things. So that would just be my thing that I would say to men, since, you know, a lot of us pride ourselves on being leaders, accountability is a huge part of that.